We see Marla steals some meals on wheels. Meals. Meals on wheels. Meals. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I said that right. Well done, me. Okay. Meals on wheels. Yeah. But like, then I had to say the meals thing. Well, meals on wheels implies meals. So you don't need to say meals on wheels meals. It's just meals on wheels. But like it was two specific little meals. Yeah. Meals on wheels. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, so to make my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I am on a quest to change that. However, I am not on this quest alone. This week, I am joined by director, Pokemon nerd, and one of my close friends, Steven Nyman. Steven, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just very tired. It's been, uh, been a busy couple weeks. I really desperately need a vacation you and me both friend you and me both <laughs> yeah it's been a it's been a day it's more than a day it's been a three months <laughs> um <laughs> uh, uh it'll all be okay it'll all be good it'll all be okay it'll work out well for the next couple hours we can just forget about everything else and have some fun and talk about fight club so before we jump into where we are, Stephen, what is your background on the film? When did you first see it? Why do you love it? Oh, well, uh, first of all, we're not supposed to talk about Fight Club on Kit. Like, yeah, I'm... So here's the thing. Yeah. Like, we're breaking rules here. I've already done two episodes. No one's come to get me yet, so... Okay. I'm gonna keep trying until someone comes to get me. Great, cool. Uh, so yeah, my background with the, this film is actually really interesting. So uh, back when I was in community college in California, I went to Antelope Valley College. Woo, go Matadors, uh, if that means any, anything to anybody. So basically, I was in English 102, which is college level English, still lower division. And it was uh, basically the whole class was adaptation. So we'd have a book. Uh, we read the book and then we watch the film. One of the books on the docket for the semester was Fight Club, because Fight Club is originally a book, uh, which a lot of people don't know. Wait, it's a book? It's a book. Okay, time to go find this book. Yeah, so Fight Club is a book, and the movie is based on the book. A lot of the dialogue in the movie is almost word for word, and it's probably one of the closest adaptations minus a few plot points that have been changed for Hollywood uh, and for the sake of Brad Pitt. But, um, <laughs> but, but basically, yeah. So I wrote a really interesting essay about the fragility of man and about the book and the film with the adaptation in English 102. I got the highest grade in the cl class with that essay. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Mr. Covell. And, uh, but ever since then, I've really loved Fight Club. I love the book more than the film. Big admission here. I think the book is always better than the film, but just, I know this is a film podcast, so I'll focus more on the film today. But, I mean, um, we can talk about the original source material. I just didn't know that there was a book. I think it's like one of those things where because the movie is so sensational or was so sensational, especially like in, in that era it came out in, which was the 90s, a lot of people only know the film from its film's sake compared to compared to other people who might only know the book. Well, well, if it, I think the book came out in the 80s, if I'm correct. So like the book is older than the film by like a decade. Okay. So it's quite quite an interesting juxtaposition because the film is definitely written for a 90s audience where the book is written for a different generation. Sure. So like there, there are differences there, but... It is actually a very close adaptation, is what you're saying. In ways. There are things that have obviously been changed. and um, That happens with any adaptation. When we get the plot points in the film that you might we might get to in this podcast, I might bring up the alternate things that happen in the book and the big changes. Because there are some major changes that happen. Most of the changes uniquely only happen with Tyler Durden's character. <laughs> which is played by Brad Pitt and one change for Marla 
which is played by the amazing Helena Bonham Carter. So I think that the, like, I love the film. And I think as a, as a film buff, this film, the only film to me that beats it in the nineties era of filmography, probably, I think Pulp Fiction is a masterpiece. I think Pulp Fiction was one of the last, like, really good films. I mean, I love Tarantino, period. But I think Fight Club is such a good film and breaks down a lot of stereotypes that people could understand. I think when you first look at the title of the of the movie, you assume what it's about, but it's a lot deeper once you actually watch it. Yeah. Well, let's get to it, because I cannot wait to start delving into this with you. So Great. where we left off... We are about to go on an adventure to make some soap. So the first thing we got to do is go render some fat, which means that we have to jump over a fence and hide from security. Makes sense. We learned that the salt content has to be just right. So we learned that the best fat for soap making comes from humans, which means that they are now outside a liposuction clinic. So I think it's really funny uh, as an antidote really quick about best plot point, because there's actually a change in the book that I think is a little more darker. Um, So the fat that they get in the book is actually from Marla's mother. So, like, Mar- oh Marla is bringing the fat from her mother's liposuction, like, to the narrator and Tyler. And, like, they don't thank her for it, which is, like, another, like, which causes, of course, another argument for those two characters to have. But um, it's just one of those things where, like, it's a little more personal in the book, where, where compared to it's just random people's lipo suction that has now been turned to soap but the original fat content for the soap actually comes from marla's mother in the book well okay then sure i (laughs) I don't know how to respond to this so we're just gonna continue so tyler jumps in a dumpster and he finds a bag full of fat well multiple and then the narrator accidentally gets one of the bags caught on like the barbed wire it spills everywhere it's disgusting oh terrible so the fat renders and the tallows render to the surface like in boy scouts now i grew up in boy scouts what the hell are you talking about tyler (laughs) (laughs) well i think because like in boy scouts at least in my boy scouts like we used to make like soup and like like when you render beef or render any kind of meat the bad stuff always ends up on top so like you kind of just like get rid of the bad stuff on top becomes a clean product okay sure so I kind of get that reference, but at the same time, I think we grew up probably in a time where like Boy Scouts was a lot different, a lot more protected. And let's just be honest, you know, millennials definitely grew up different than the than the than the 80s generation. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Like we were in Boy Scouts in the early 2000s. Exactly. Like, <laughs> very different. 20 years is a long time. So once the tallow hardens, we skim off a layer of glycerin. Add nitric acid, and we get nitroglycerin. And then we add some sodium nitrate and a dash of sawdust, and we get dynamite. Yeah. Cool. I don't know how accurate that is, but if anyone wants that information, there you go. Uh, I think there was, like, a big fear when they were making the film, if I recall. Like, I think I saw an interview once where the director was like, I don't know if we actually should have put the formula for, like, dynamite in a film. Because, like... At the time, especially when the time the film was made, keep in mind this was pre-9-11, there was like, it's it's interesting how much 9-11 has changed filmography, because I think today, that information would not be in the film. Yeah, or like, they would skip a very specific step in the film. Exactly. They might leave like, certain parts of it in, and they might have still done that, they may have still... That might not be the full thing, and it might be that there are a couple steps that they've omitted that they're just like, okay, well, we can make a couple of leaps. I don't know. Well, let's be honest. I mean, in films like history, there have been films that have been blamed for, like, activities, illegal activities. Oh, yeah. People say they saw it in a film. You know, the Columbine dream, for instance, being blamed on Scream. I didn't know it was blamed on Scream, but okay. Well, yeah, because the two, the two shooters were wanted to be, like, Billy and... Um, I uh, do remember that from a documentary that I saw about it. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I've never seen Scream, so... I think even this film, to be fair, has some, like, controversy with that. 
I think there was some crimes that happened around when this film came out that people inherently blamed on Fight Club. It's the same thing that happens with video game violence. Everyone wants to blame something for it instead of the actual problem. Yeah. So, but I don't, I don't know if that's the actual like ingredients for dynamite. If it is, there's please, your information. Please don't make dynamite. Please don't test it. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's not make dynamite. <laughs> let's not make dynamite. We don't need to make dynamite. So, apparently, the ancient people found the modern uses for soap, a.k.a. cleaning, <laughs> by doing human sacrifices at the top of the river. The bodies burned, the waters seeped through the wood and ashes to create lye. And lye is another crucial ingredient. And once it is mixed with the melted body fat, thick soapy discharge crept into the river. And then Ty puts a chemical burn on the narrator's hands. What the fuck, Ty? <laughs> well, I think that's a really, like, you're missing, like, a crucial point of the chemical burn. Because he burns it in, like, the shape of his lips. So, like, the idea, the idea of it was, like, you did you notice how, like, he kissed it first and then burned it? I didn't notice the kiss, but I did see the burn. Yeah, so he kisses the hand first, and then he burns it where the kiss is. So it's supposed to be a representation of Tyler's lips on the narrator's hand. Okay. So it's like it's like he's burning. Tyler's like branding himself into the narrator. Sure. So like, I think it's a really interesting like point on that because it's like Tyler's taking ownership of the narrator's body. Yeah. It's a brand. Pretty much, it is. And he does say something very interesting is without pain or sacrifice, we would have nothing. That's very true. Yeah. At at the same time, you know, because we've had so many deep conversations with Tyler and the narrator before, you know, especially about them not having father's figures. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really interesting thing about like Tyler taking almost ownership of the narrator like a father. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a really interesting moment of the film. Definitely. So, the narrator starts trying to meditate, but Tyler won't let him. And he's like, this is the greatest moment of your life, and you're off somewhere missing it. Then Tyler says, if fathers were models for God, and their fathers left, then what does that tell you about God? Consider the possibility God doesn't love you, doesn't need you, probably hates you. We don't need him. Fuck damnation. Fuck redemption. God's unwanted children. Fuck him. We don't need him beautiful monologue by brad pitt yeah also not not tyler's lines in the book oh so this 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 these lines are said i believe by like a mechanic completely like in a different context kind of but like not said by brad not said by tyler durden i think it is one of the most best delivered lines in the film though so i think like rightfully so it was a really good change and i don't i don't think i don't know if the context in the novel uh, made as much sense as the context in the film. I think that the context of the novel makes sense. I'm just saying, I think that in the context of the film, where we are in the film, I think the line lands really well. Yeah, no, it landed beautifully. It was such a well-delivered line yeah. as well. Like, you felt it. And what's fascinating about this scene is the entire time the narrator is trying to go and wash this burn off and like he's trying edward norton does a very good job in this scene too because even though it's brad pitt with most of the lines norton's physical acting in this moment Mm -hmm. is immensely impressive because brad pitt has to kind of be that calmness in this moment and norton's the crazy that's trying to like just move and run and run away well, like, but, it's the first thing you learn about a chemical burn. It's like you never put water on it. If you put any water on a chemical burn, it just makes it burn more. Right. If you run water on your hand, and the film talks about this too, if you run water on your hand, it's just going to get worse. You have to use vinegar to neutralize it. Exactly. It's just like a jellyfish thing. Yeah, but also at the same time, if you're burning, you're First thought, if you're not used to being around this type of material and it's the first time, like, it's not, like, I know that it might not be common knowledge of a chemical burn, put vinegar on it, not water. 
but that might not be common knowledge. And also, like, if you're burned, the first thing that normally comes to your mind is run some cold water on it. So, but burns are different. You're not wrong. Yeah. So the narrator says, fine, give me the vinegar. You don't know how this feels. And Tyler says that he'll give him the vinegar after the narrator accepts that one day you will die. The narrator just says again, you don't know how this feels. And Tyler shows him a scar on his hand and then delivers another beautiful line. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Mm. Another beautiful line. This entire scene was just fantastic from both of the actors. I Probably one of my favorite scenes in the film up to this point. Yeah, and I think it's like it does show the fragility of these two characters. It shows the almost the homoerotic relationship they have as well as the the similarities between them. They both as as you explore their characters in the previous scenes, they both have no fathers. They're they're two men raised by mothers and I think there's something about that in the film and they talk a lot they talk a lot about father. They talk a lot about God. They talk a lot about this like lost father, lost lost person in life. And I think in this moment I think like Edward Norton's character, the narrator, is always in denial about everything. And I think what Tyler's trying to get across, especially in this scene, is make a definitive choice. Make a decision on something. Actually be definitive. Because a lot of the times, the narrator's not. Right. Yeah. I can't put it any better than that. Great. (laughs) So, Tyler sold soap to the stores for $20 a bar, which is just impressive. I mean, like, I buy really, really good soap on, a like, a tangent thing. Like, I buy, like, Dr. Squatch, which I think is, like, really, really good soap. And I think I, like, a three-month shipment cost me $20, 20 pounds. And I get three bars of soap, two deodorants, and shampoo conditioner, I think. Yeah, for like 20 pounds. 20 pounds, 30 pounds. And it's like, it's a good deal. Especially since like three bars of soap for me last me three months. Like, and their soap's real, real good. But like, high-end places, you know? It's sometimes that idea of like, I saw this video today on on, on YouTube about this. Uh, it was like Payless did like uh oh yeah i've seen that Paylessy, yeah yeah Paylessy. like it was so funny it's like it's like it's ridiculously hilarious that Paylessy was like that payless you know sold the stuff as Paylessy was like selling a payless shoe for like five hundred dollars and people were like oh my gosh this is the best material ever and like they were like so like into it i think it's like people will pay what something they think is worth and i think tyler's soap in this world is obviously worth the $20 the store spends and probably sells it back at 40 Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I'm also just impressed that Tyler has been able to make probably good quality soap because, like, you know, well done, Tyler. Like, yeah, have some soap. Yeah, and it's just one of his jobs because, obviously, hotel, soap maker, and... Pornography distributor. Pornography distributor. Oh, also the film. He he edits the... Oh, that's what I was joking about. Pornography distributor. (laughs) (laughs) Putting the porno in the middle of a film. (laughs) Look for those burn marks, everyone. Look for those burn marks. Doesn't exist anymore. It's totally a lost art because it was, you know... Digitalized. Everything's digital now. Everything's digital now. So... Anyway, the boss walks in with a yellow tie and he has a piece of paper and he's reading it. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. And the narrator is horrified and realizes that he left the original copy in the machine. And then the boss asks, what would you do if you were manager? And the narrator just goes off. Great little monologue by Edward Norton here is, I'd be very careful because whoever wrote that is dangerous. The button-down Oxford cloth psycho might snap and then stalk office to office with semi with a semi-automatic weapon. Did he just threaten to shoot up the office? I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, I think because, like, the boss is, um, I think the boss is, this is the last scene in the, well, one of the last few scenes the boss is in. 
Uh, we see a little more of the bus. We see a little more of him, but I think he's just the big prick in Tyler's life. Oh, not Tyler's life, the narrator's life, I'm sorry. Yeah. And in the narr- the narrator, he's a constant annoyance to the narrator throughout the book and the film. And I think it's like, we've all dealt with a boss who's a little uptight, a little micromanagey, and um, who we think is a- does a little bit of illegal stuff behind the scenes. I think we've all kind of dealt with that. So there was a, there's a bit of a, I think from an audience perspective, we watch these scenes and we're immediately on the side of the narrator. Oh, 100%. Because we all hate bosses like that. Yeah, but like, you know, just don't shoot up an office or anywhere. Oh, just yeah. Don't do it. Yeah, well, yeah. Definitely an American film, by the way. No, oh, uh, that was very clear. Yeah. Anyway, so Marla calls and says that her tits are going to fall off and there may be a lump in her breast and needs the narrator to check. Can't afford a doctor. Welcome to America. And we see Marla steal some Meals on Wheels. Meals. Meals on Wheels. Meals. Yes. Yeah, okay. I said that right. Well done, me. Okay. Meals so, on Wheels, yeah. But like, then I had to say the Meals thing. Well, Meals on Wheels implies Meals. So you don't need to say Meals on Wheels, Meals. It's just Meals on Wheels. But like it was two specific little Meals. Yeah, Meals on Wheels. It comes, like, as, it comes as like a package. I thought Meals on Wheels was the name of the company, and then they handed out meals. It's the name of the service. Probably also the name of the company, but it is the name of the service. Okay. Like, Deliveroo and get, you know, is technically Meals on Wheels. Just a modern day version of it. Yes, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just still fascinated on meals on wheels we- meals compared to meals on wheels i like how this has become the most important plot point of the film hey everybody meals on wheels meals everybody meals on wheels meals not not the rest of the film you don't even need to watch the rest of the film good luck yeah bye this is all you needed so Marla uh, offers to repay the favor. Narrator says no, and Marla kisses him, and then the narrator leaves. Well, I think something interesting happens in the scene. Obviously, he checks her best for yeah, cancer. Yeah. And in the movie, he doesn't find a lump. But in the book... There's a lump? There is a cancerous lump on Marla's breast. Okay. So... There's a scene that's not in the film at all. This doesn't ruin anything okay. in the future. So Marla's had cancer before. It's it's one of the changes with her character they made in the book. It's why Marla goes to the support groups in the first place. She's healed by that time, but she just wants to feel alive because she was so close to death. That's why she goes to these. She likes being around people who are close to death because it makes her feel more alive. Uh, that's her motivation in the book as well as the narrator finds a lump there's another scene in the book where she actually ends up going to a doctor after this scene um but she doesn't go in because she's too scared okay so there's a there's a there's a big question throughout the rest of the novel of whether marla has breast cancer does that ever get answered in the novel no no I will say no, because I, do, I think it's still left as a... It's ambiguous. It's still left ambiguous, especially because of the ending, which I won't talk about yet. <laughs> um, it's ambiguous. Cool. Sounds good. So, narrator leaves, and he gets outside. He runs into Bob. Everyone thought that the narrator was dead, Bob reveals. And Bob is doing better than ever, because Bob is part of Fight Club. And Bob goes on Tuesdays and Thursdays while the narrator goes on Saturdays. So, like, it kind of makes sense of, like, why they haven't run into each other. Sure. Fair enough. But, like, also, yo, you started it. Do you just have other people run it on Tuesdays and Thursdays? So, I think the understanding from the narrator's perspective in that moment is Tyler is running the fight club every day of the week. Oh, okay. That makes but sense. The narrator, doing other but stuff. the narrator only shows up one day a week because that's okay. all he needs to sleep. Sure. And I think it's like, I think that's the one plot point of the film that people forget is like the whole reason the narrator's in Fight Club in the first place is because he needs it to sleep. He can't sleep without some form of, some form of escape, which is what helped him, which is why he was going to the groups in the first half of the Right. And that's why he and Tyler started the Fight Club. Fight Club anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. So makes sense. Bob hears all sorts of things about the guy who started it. 
and these are kind of fun. So there he was born in a mental institution, sleeps one hour a night, and his name is Tyler Durden. And I was like, they, they just kicked out the narrator. I feel bad for the narrator. Granted, I still don't know his name, and I'm kind of pissed off that I don't know his name, but, like, here we go. I think it's also really interesting because, like, from a novel perspective, not knowing the narrator's name obviously puts you in this driver's seat of the novel. Okay. So, like, you're, you're the narrator in the novel. Sure. So, like, when you read the novel, you kind of take ownership of that role compared to, like, so, like, you would probably see the, I think it's, like, what the film does really well because it's a book to a film is remember that you're seeing everything through Edward Norton's eyes. Yeah. And I think that like Edward Norton's character is our view into the world. Just like in the book, the narrator is our view to the world. So right. it's a very good literary. Use. No, it was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. It's a good literary use and a good way. I think it's a really interesting way for a film to kind of have a lead. Mm hmm. Yeah, so we then get Bob versus the narrator at Fight Club. <laughs> Bob has a shirt on, probably to avoid seeing his bitch tits. Yeah, bitch tips Bob. Yeah. I love, I love bitch tits Bob. He is probably one of my favorite characters. Oh, he's hilarious. In the book and the film, I think they did a really good job. Like, because like, when you read about bitch tits Bob's in the book, you're just like, I, I literally thought before I saw the film, how are they going to get this guy on film? And I thought they did a really good job. Meatloaf. <laughs> Meatloaf? That was the name of the guy who played Bitch Tits Bob. No, I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, but also Meatloaf is also really funny because he was also in Rocky Horror Picture Show. I haven't seen that. Yeah, dang, dang it, Unkit. That's your Halloween episode. Oh, uh, it better be. It probably is. It better be your Halloween episode. If you watch this weekly, comment on his <laughs> comment every week until he watches Rocky Horror. I promise I'll get to it. Maybe you know at some how we, point. you know how he always talks about the friends who get mad at him because he hasn't seen any films. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm one of those friends. He's not wrong. <laughs> so, so welcome to an insight audience. Welcome to the welcome to the world. <laughs> this is going completely off the rails at this point. <laughs> This is what it needs to be. This is what it needs to be. Okay, keep going. Sorry, we're on Bitch Tis Bob. Bitch Tis Bob. Great character. All right, moving on. So, Fight Club was the narrator and Tyler's gift to the world. Tyler says he looks around and sees a lot of new faces, which means a lot of people have been breaking the first two rules. Thank you. The rules don't make any sense. I've been on this tangent before. Fuck it, I'll do this tangent again. But the rules don't make any sense. Because if your first two rules are don't talk about the club, but you want the club to grow, someone's breaking the first two rules. Well, I think it's quite interesting because obviously, I think if you really think about all the rules, all the rules that were set in the, that scene, the first two rules were obviously created by the narrator. Because the narrator is so... I don't want to say... He's just so nervous about everything. He has so much anxiety about the world. So he's probably the first one to be like, hey, we can't tell anybody about this. Look, I totally get that. Fair enough. But at the same time, there are no consequences for breaking the rules. See, this is why I don't feel bad about talking about Fight Club. Because, like, there aren't any consequences to doing it. Yeah, but I think everyone who gets brought into Fight Club has to accept the secret of Fight Club. So it's like, it's it's a... The people who are only told about Fight Club are the people who will partake. But here's the issue. You can't tell people. See, because that's a rule. I mean, it's the first two rules. Exactly. It's not even just one rule. So how are you even getting people in? I've been on this road and I'm... You're there's, gonna... a, there's also an understanding, <laughs> like, I guess from the book's perspective, that Tyler went around and recruited people. Because he's the only one allowed to break the rules. Fine, but two things. One, that wasn't mentioned in the film that Tyler recruited people. And two, yeah. at no point did Tyler say that the only people that can break the rules are me and the narrator. Well, I don't even think the narrator breaks the rules. I think specifically it's probably Tyler who breaks Fair. the rules. But Tyler shouldn't be above the rules. I mean, he founded Fight Club, so does he, does he not deserve So did the above? narrator. Yeah, but the narrator doesn't take full ownership where Tyler does. 
Okay, fair. But see, I still don't know if Tyler would be able to get that many people there. Okay, I agree. So yes, so obviously some people are talking about Fight Club. And there's not a consequence for talking about it. That's the issue. All the other rules made sense because it was all about the fighting. Yeah. Right? Because all the other rules were like, okay, like, no this, no that. Like, make sure that you do this. If someone calls tap out, like, the fight's over. You're not, we're not here to kill people. Like, all of that, right? That all makes sense. Okay, we'll get to it. But, like, (laughs) the idea of the fight is just to release your anger and then move Mm, on. Yeah. It didn't solve anything, just a fight, move on. And like I said in the last episode, there's something cathartic about just punching something. Very masculine thing as well. I think. Well, my last guest was female and she agreed. Oh, fair. Yeah. I just think I think it's like a very like it shows the the male fantasy with violence. We also I think males also have a big fantasy about making things bigger. Um, (laughs) I got that from Futurama. Thank you, Futurama. Every time I mean like every time we have a somebody has a bigger TV than somebody, it's always like. Oh man, now I feel less like a man because I'm a smaller TV. <laughs> um, but like, but like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, people broke the rules, but I think that's the only way for the club to. Obviously, it didn't get out. Look, I'm still gonna die on the hill saying that there is no consequence, and that's a problem if you're gonna break the rule. But I think for the sake of this, or else we're just never gonna move on. We should just move on. Yes. <laughs> So, in Fight Club, there is potential in the men, but it is squandered. Pumping gas, being waiters, slaves to the coats. They are the middle children in history. There's no war. There's no depression. They fight a spiritual war. Depression is just our lives. We're raised on TV to believe that we'll be millionaires, movie gods, rock stars, but we won't. And slowly we're learning that fact. And you have a right to be pissed off about it. Again, great monologue by Brad Pitt. Again, I believe this is not his monologue in the novel. (laughs) If I'm remembering correctly, I believe this is a town into another character. (laughs) But... Uh, I think it works better if it is him. I think, like I said... I haven't read the book. Like I said, when I first talked about the novel and there being a novel, a lot of of the things, other than being Hollywoodized, it got Brad Pittified. And I just mean, like... I'm not upset. I love Brad Pitt. I mean, one of my newest favorite films of all time is, is, um, is the is the train one he was in the the he was in a train one yeah like it was called bullet train nope i haven't seen it oh my god it, well it was new it was on netflix it was like recent so like i i understand but like he fights like so funny uh he fights this character in the middle of the film and like uh it's just one of a great film i don't want to i don't want to spoil it if you're gonna watch it i might watch it we'll yeah, see bullet train really yeah, yeah. really really fun movie definitely a brad pitt favorite of mine beautiful yeah, the first time I saw Brad Pitt was Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone has a context, if you haven't seen the episode where Brad Pitt's in Friends... It's a great episode. It's because he's Rachel's ex, but then him and... No, he's not Rachel's ex. He's Ross's childhood best friend. Oh, that's right. And they make fun of Rachel. Yeah, they have a club of the I Hate Rachel Green Club. That's right. That's right. They have the I Hate Rachel Green Club. That's And right. a fantastic scene in that episode... Is where he's just, like, confirming with Ross. It's like, you got her pregnant, and you're not going to marry her. And he's like, dude, nice, and goes in for a high five. No one wants to high five him. And Phoebe's just like, okay, well, if no one else will. And then just goes and hugs him. Gold. (laughs) (laughs) It is Brad Pitt. Uh, I think it's always fun when they bring Brad Pitt into things. Um, Sorry, keep going. So Brad Pitt has his monologue. Brad Pitt has his monologue. Great monologue. And then I think I know what comes next. Is it the... Yeah, so as he's... He starts going through the rules. Yeah. And some people in suits come down the stairs. Yeah, the, and, the head of the bar. Yeah, we learned that this man is Lou. It's Lou's tavern. And Lou says everyone out. And Tyler's like, nah, you should join. Lou punches Tyler multiple times. He Tyler... beats the shit out of him. Yep, pretty much. And Tyler's laughing maniacally. Mm-hmm. Everyone moves in to help Tyler and Lou's friend with a gun and Tyler both 
kind of keep everyone at bay. So lose friend with the gun starts, and then Tyler's like, no, 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 like, I got this, don't worry. And then Tyler is laughing hysterically, saying, no, we like the place, like, don't take the place from us, and then proceeds to beat the shit out of Lou. Yeah, he does. I mean, literally. I mean, but also at the same time, I think it's like, at least afterwards, Lou gave them permission to have the fight called Nick. <laughs> yeah. Lou's like, I swear on my mother's honor, you can stay. And then that's the end of Lou. We never see Lou again. So we then get a homework assignment. Go out, start a fight with a total stranger and lose. <laughs> Interesting homework assignment. Let's see how this goes. Turns out, not as easy as it sounds, because most normal people will do anything to avoid a fight. And I specifically enjoyed one of the guys, because he was just spraying everyone with a hose as they walked by, and eventually he starts fighting a priest, because he sprayed his Bible, and the priest is just so bad at fighting, and the other guy's just standing there like Yeah, because the, the priest just punched him like a little, little baby punch, he was like... And the guy was like, oh, whatever, I'm going to beat his... <laughs> if that's not an allegory for something, I don't know what is. Yeah, I don't know. So the narrator goes to his boss and says, we need to talk. And the boss is like, I have a list. What do you want to start with? The constant absentee, the unpre unpresentable appearance. And the narrator just goes, let's pretend you're a department of transportation. Someone informs you that the company installs front seat mounting brackets that fail every collision test, brake linings that fail after 1,000 miles, fuel injectors that explode and burn people alive. What then? Boss don't have an answer. And the boss is just like, are you threatening me? And the narrator's like, no, but just keep me on the payroll as an outside consultant. In return, my job will be to never tell people anything that I know. The boss then calls security. And fires him. And fires him. Yeah. Calls security, fires him. And the narrator then punches himself in the face twice and yells, making it sound like the boss has hit him and thrown him around the office. He then, like, punches himself, lands on a coffee table. He also, like, takes himself and, like, flings himself into the wall. It's impressive. There's also a really interesting line in there that says it reminds him of the first fight he had with Tyler. Yeah, that's, I have that as well. Thought of his first fight with Tyler, and I was like, aw, isn't that sweet? He's having flashbacks. How nice. So, the boss is just terrified the whole time. And keep in mind, this is a flashback in a flashback, because we're already in a flashback. I'm very confused. Well, because at the start of the film, right. we flashback from the gun in his mouth right. to the to the story. So, like, we're in a flashback. Yeah, we're in a flashback. So, the boss is just terrified the whole time. And the narrator gets on his knees and is telling the boss, like, you know, terrible things. And I didn't catch exactly what it was. I didn't write it down. Sorry. But he was telling him terrible things. And right as security opens the door, I the narrator switches to, please don't hit me again. Please, please don't hit me. Which fantastic timing. Also, a thing. Um, Security was really slow. <laughs> <laughs> I I imagine, like, in, in, in the perfect world, that... The narrator knew how long security would take to come to the office. I love that. But also, their security's really slow. Yeah, maybe they were just walking, taking their time. So they just were like, oh, whatever. You know, it yeah, matter. because when the big bad boss of a company calls for security, it's normally, you know what? I'm going to take a stroll. I'll stop for a donut. I'll stop for a coffee on the way. It'll be okay. Yeah. He probably doesn't really need me that badly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> It just worked out. It Let's worked just... out. It worked out. So, telephone, computer, fax machine, 52 weekly paychecks, and 48 airline coupons. They had corporate sponsorship, and they could have Fight Club every night. Woo! Here we go. So, Well, it just means the narrator can now attend Fight Club every night. Right. Compared to Tyler probably attending. Probably it. running it every night. So, Tyler is now also in a class action lawsuit with Pressman Hotel over the urine content of their soup. Which is Tyler's. Which is Tyler's. If anyone forgot, Tyler then started dreaming up new homework assignments and handed them out in sealed envelopes. And I was like, okay, is this the start of Project Mayhem? Finally. And I think it is because 
Here's some of the different tasks that they had. Taking down telephone poles. Busting people's satellite dishes. Which is just mean. Like, why would you ruin someone's evening TV time? I get the telephone poles. People don't need to talk. But, like, you know. Actually, no. Uh, people should talk. Please talk to people. Being friendly is decent. Painting signs to say, you can use old motor oil to fertilize your lawn. <laughs> Out of curiosity, what did it say before that? I, I don't know. Because it looked like such a proper sign. I mean, but like... And it looked like they were defacing the sign. It probably was something about lawn care. Probably. Before. And now it's like... Motor you want to destroy your lawn? Get Do motor this. oil. <laughs> they were also heating books. No, no, no. So they were tapes. They were um, magnetically doing magnets over tapes. So if you they were tapes. Okay, it yeah, looked so, like they were books. No, so, so if you yeah, if yeah. you demagnet, I think if you magnetize an old VHS, it would delete the film in that. Yep. Like completely. I believe so. Yeah, there's a whole there's a movie of Jack Black about that situation. I need to watch more of Jack Black. One of my favorite actors, but he's not in this film, so let's continue. Let's continue. Okay, so that was they were busting tapes, and then they were busting car lights, and there is now a Fight Club in Delaware, Castle, Pensgrove, Newcastle. And when I thought Newcastle, I was like Newcastle, not this Newcastle. No, most of them being America. I think in the with the writer's mind. Where are they based? Is it specified in the book? Because it's not specified in the film. No, but like there's a beach in the book. He does fly around in rural America. So it's understanding it's on a coastal. I thought it was somewhere like East Coast. I think it's New York. I think it's based supposed to be in New York because that's the idea of like New York being one of the most financial centers of the world, and sure, and even if it's not really... specific New York, it might be like in the uh, Brooklyn or well, because like or remember that this this whole movie is about masculine fragility in America, lack of father, lack of government, lack of everything, and New York has such close ties to Washington D.C. So, if it, and Washington D.C. is different than that. So, I think financially, it probably is in New York. Fair enough. Doesn't make a difference. So then they're feeding a bunch of pigeons right over a car lot so that they poop on the cars. And <laughs> changing the safety pictures on airlines to show chaos, not calm. Two specific pictures that caught my eye was the dad putting on his mask and pushing away his child. Again, the idea of getting a, a father's not being there for children. It's consistent. And people sprawled out at the bottom of the slide because I guess they went down the slide too fast and died. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think you also missed one thing as well. They um they reversed a uh, one w- way out. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. So yeah. like when a limo went through it, it got all his tires popped. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a car actually go through one of those. My dad was telling me like if a car ever goes through one of those the wrong way. It destroys the car. Like, it's, like, impossible to, like, salvage a car. Like, it could total a car, basically. Well, don't try to run away then, I guess, listeners. Don't do that. Yeah. If you don't want your car to be damaged, there you go. I mean, also, I think, like, insurance companies, it's really a weird thing about America. But, like, I think car insurance companies will cover four pop tires, but they won't cover three. So they'll cover one and four, but they won't cover, they'll cover two as well, but they won't cover three. That's fun. So if you ever get your tires shanked, if they only shank shank three tires. Just do the last one yourself. Just get, yeah. (laughs) Please don't, but like also like be safe out there. Look, you do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. Insurance companies in America are weird. Yeah. Anyway, so we also see some newspaper clippings. We see police seized excrement catapult. Performance artists molested. Yeah. Power outage at local mall. Woohoo. Fountain befouled and missing monkeys found shaved. Yep. All of that can be assumed. Uh, was done fight, by Project Mayhem by the Fight Club. Well, it's not called Project. I probably was called Project Mayhem at the time, but it right. wasn't called Project Mayhem. And yet. yeah, not in the film. It's still technically called the Fight Club. They're yeah. also drilling into computers 
then Tyler grabs a gun and says homework assignment, and that's human sacrifice. And I was like, what? They grab a poor guy from a convenience store. His name is Raymond. We learn that Raymond lives in a small apartment, studied stuff in college. More specifically, he studied biology. Didn't know why. Tyler asks, what did you want to be? And he was like, I wanted to be a vet. So Tyler's like, okay, well, I know where you live. And if you're not on your way to becoming a vet in six weeks, you will be dead. And as our lovely friend Raymond ran away, we hear Tyler yell, run, Forrest, run. And I laughed because I got that reference. <laughs> oh, God. And the one Forrest Gump reference and he gets it. Hello, folks. <laughs> so the narrator feels ill, asks what the point of it is. And Tyler then says this which I think I've heard before, is in some other form of setting, but tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of Raymond K. Hesley's life. His breakfast will taste better than any meal you and I have ever tasted. I don't know why I've heard that. I just think I've heard that before. I think it's a common monologue some people use to audition. Um, or a common scene. It, it's, it's, it's a brilliant one. It's actually not in the book at all. It's a fun if I, one. If I remember nice correctly so the narrator then realizes that tyler has a plan and also the gun wasn't loaded but it's no fear no distractions and tyler is telling people you're not your job not how much money you have in the bank you're not your car that you drive you're not the contents of your wallet you're more than that and that's just a beautiful sentiment He's also, like, lifting these people up legitimately. He's helping them be like, look, like, th this is not you completely. This isn't you. You're more than that. You have the potential to be more than that. And I really like that he is trying to uplift them at the same time. He's not just having them do some questionable things, but he's actually being supportive. Yeah. I think it's like... It's interesting, but also diametrically opposed to the to Tyler Durden in the book. Because I think I think if that scene happened in the book, the gun would be loaded. Okay. Well, we're gonna take a break, and then we'll be right back in just a moment with some more about Fight Club, and we're gonna see Marla again. Hello everyone and welcome to the Intermission Netherlands edition. Ooh, not a lot is really that different other than I happen to be in the Netherlands while I am recording this. Currently, I am in a tiny town called Harlem and it's quite nice. I'm enjoying my time here so far and I'm looking forward to the rest of the time that I have here before I head back to London. And it's been very fun getting to explore this beautiful country and check it out with my family. But anyway, I hope you are all enjoying this episode of Post Finale as we continue talking about Fight Club along with my friend Steven. As you can all tell, we've probably already gone off the rails more than once, and I guarantee you that we will go off the rails even more. But, you know, that's just what happens. But I hope you are all enjoying it, and if you would like to support the show and gain access to some bonus content... You can do so. Head over to patreon.com slash postfinale. You can sign up for any of the tiers. Different tiers give you different bonus content. And I greatly appreciate it. And any of the money that is made from this Patreon will go directly back into making this a better show. So better audio recording equipment, better editing softwares, different things like that. So any support is greatly, greatly appreciated. If you are not able to help out the show in a monetary way, that's completely fine. I totally get it. Just thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you still want to help out the show, I really appreciate that too. You can do that in multiple different ways. 
The best way is recommend the show to a friend. Reach out to a friend who loves movies and be like, hey, you want to go hear someone who's generally wrong about most things about movies, but every now and again thinks he's got something right and makes pretty bad jokes every now and again? Go tell them about the show. I think that they'd like it. And if you're enjoying it, maybe they'll like it as well. Tweet about it. I'm sorry, it's not Twitter anymore. It's now called X, so I guess x about it i don't really know what the current terminology is but we're on x twitter whatever you want to call it we're on instagram we're on facebook at post finale pod is the tag on all three of those platforms talk about the show on any of the platforms it really does help and is greatly greatly appreciated as well And last but not least, if you still want to help out the show and haven't already done so, leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever app you're using to listen to the show. This helps a lot as well. So all three of those things, showing it to a friend, talking about it on social media, and rating the show, those are all ways that you can help out the show in a non-monetary way, and it helps us out greatly. And thank you so much. I'm sorry that this little intermission has gone on a bit longer than usual, but, you know, that happens every now and again, and let's just get back straight into the episode and see what's about to happen next in Fight Club. So back in the house, Marla says she'll be gone in a second, and the narrator says it's okay, you don't have to leave. He asks if she is still going to the groups, and she is. We find out that Chloe's dead. Was Chloe the one that really wanted to get laid? Mm-hmm. Cool. So the narrator asks what Marla gets out of going to all of this, if it makes her happy and, you know, gets out of all of this. Sorry, not going to all of this, but just out of this. Mm-hmm. And does it make her happy? And she's like, oh, sometimes. And the narrator doesn't understand why a weak person has to latch on to a strong person. And Marla asks what he gets out of it. And the narrator says it's different with us. And then there are loud bangings and machine sounds from the basement. And the narrator gets distracted. I think it's also really interesting as well. Because she, like, she's like, Chloe's dead. And it's like, I kind of question myself. I'm like, oh, did she get laid though before she died? It's, oh yeah no i questioned it too the internet i mean like the internet blew up the other day i mean i don't know if you watch bleach or know of bleach it's a anime um it's on disney plus in in the uk it's on hulu in america but they've brought back bleach for the first time in like so they didn't they never animated the last arc of bleach the manga um like they never animated it because like bleach got canceled so that like it it got brought back like recently and it's like beautiful animation but there was this random character who got taken by like a woman who's on like the bad side and she's like come to my room and then like it shows her zipping up her in the next shot it shows her zipping up her uh uniform and then him being cut directly in half and dying and the whole internet just went did he get laid though before he died like that's all they cared about it's an important question. It is. I feel like a lot of people really care if people get laid. I don't know why, but like, welcome to society. Da 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 da. da. Did he get laid? <laughs> and on that note, sorry. Let's continue. <laughs> so yeah, Tyler's making noise in the basement. <laughs> yeah, Tyler's making noise in the basement. Marla notices the scar on the narrator's hand, and Marla tries to see it and wants him to open up a bit. And the narrator then uses Tyler's words that Tyler whispers from the basement Mm -hmm. and says, this conversation is over. Yeah. Marla's pissed. Marla leaves. So in the basement, there are bunk beds and the bell rings. Tyler walks out, says, too young, walks right back in. We learn that if the right applicant comes, he must wait outside for three days with no food, shelter, encouragement. None of that. And then they can enter and start training. I'm still confused on what they're training for, but I was like, it's probably going to be just recruitment and the project mayhem. So the same guy who is too young won't leave no matter what the guys do or say, no matter what is being said. Sooner or later, they all become what Tyler wanted. Bob also shows up. Welcome back, Bob. I like Bob. And... One thing that was said, I don't remember in what context, was Space Monkey ready to sacrifice himself. 
which was interesting that Tyler views them as sacrifices. Yeah, I think it's also really interesting because, you know, because the narrator brings Bob in. Because... Yeah, the narrator explains Bob Bob, what's going on. Bob Bob walks away originally. And so now, once we get to it, the narrator is responsible for Bob. Yeah. He is responsible for Bob because he lets... Or Tyler is responsible for everyone else. Yeah, the narrator, the narrator is responsible for Bob. Exactly. And he actually likes Bob. And I do too. Bob's lovely. I have nothing against Bob. Oh, I love Bob. Just a steroid user, you know, who who has too much estrogen in his body. Look, did the man make mistakes? Yes. Is he a sweetheart who eats a lot of donuts? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) He had Krispy Kreme in a scene, and it made me really crave Krispy Kreme. And, like, not the Krispy Kreme we have here. Dude, I haven't had a good Krispy Kreme donut in so long. But, like, the UK Krispy Kreme is so expensive. Like, it's like. It's not worth it. There are better donuts for cheaper. It's like two pounds for, like, a glazed donut here, where, like, in America, you can get. For two pounds, you can get like four donuts. Yeah, because two pounds is now about like three fifty. Yeah, think. well, even less. I mean, I think like donuts in America are just cheaper. Yeah. Anyway, so where were we? I don't even know. Uh, people were joining Project Mayhem, or pe- oh yeah. So the narrator comes home one day, and people are celebrating. On the news, we see a recent act of vandalism related to underground boxing clubs. There will be a coordinated and rigorous investigation. And at the scene of a four-alarm fire that broke out about an hour ago. Yep. It's a controlled blaze on the side of the building. And I was just like, it's just like the one that blew up the narrator's house. Please, I'm telling you, it was Tyler, narrator, open your eyes. It started pissing me off a bit. Well, I think it's I wrote also, in all caps. It's also really interesting. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, um, it makes it like a smiley face on the side of the building. Oh yeah, that's my next note. Is there's know, a smiley like, face on the side of the building as the, well. The two, the, the fire of the eyes. And it, you know, it is, you know, it is quite interesting. The, um, what fire represents obviously in this, in this world and, you know, destruction and, and mayhem the narrator losing everything moving in with tyler this act is another is another clue in the narrator trying to figure tyler out yeah definitely so the narrator asks what did you do and everyone is quiet at first and then starts laughing and this is the first time that we hear it bob says the first rule of project mayhem is you don't ask questions and the narrator looks horrified. Tyler looks proud and walks away. And then there's something about in this moment as well, where it's like, now the narrator has heard the name Project Mayhem. He he now feels complicit in what's been, been going on. Yeah. And so now we're at some fancy banquet. Someone's given a speech that they will take back the city. The streets are safer. There's hope in the inner city. Not based on what we just saw. Oh my gosh, this reminds me of, uh, I don't know, Gotham? (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, the last time I was on the podcast, I don't know if the episode ever got posted, was... No, it's bonus content, though, uh, if anyone's interested. Was was Ankit really wanted to react to the Nolan Batman trilogy? Because he'd never seen it before. I know... I know. I can't believe he's never seen the Nolan Batman trilogy. I have now. Okay, but so Ankit <laughs> and I started that with Batman Begins because Batman Begins is probably one of my favorite films. Dark Knight is obviously way better, but like Batman Begins is one of my favorites. Dark Knight Rises can suck a big one though, just in my own personal opinion. Tom Hardy, you're better than that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I've seen it now. It just took me until Christmas of last year to watch them. For context, Stephen just slapped himself on the forehead. (laughs) So, we're at some fancy banquet. Yeah. Right, we've already been there. It's not going well. So, 
<laughs> one guy at the fancy table, like at the front, he has to get up and he has to go piss. So he goes and then Bob follows him and then another guy follows him. The narrator sees what is going on and all the waiters see what's going on. And I guess all the waiters are part of Project Mayhem now because everyone goes to the bathroom. <laughs> well, I think because it's the same uniform that Tyler wore in the beginning of the film. I think it was just he it's just the, got all of his it's friends the, to It's be the there. same hotel. Yeah, I it's think It's the so. same hotel that... That is the class section lawsuit with the P and the soup. Which I'm surprised that Tyler's still able to get in. Well, kind of. Well, he's not being fired for it. Yeah, it is true. He's just in a lawsuit. So the old guy's going to the piss and is followed by everyone. And in the toilet is Tyler. He grabs the old guy, drags him through the bathroom. They duct tape his mouth shut and then put a rubber band around his balls. Tyler says, you're going to call off the investigation publicly, say that there is no underground group, or they will take your balls and send one to the New York Times and one to the LA Times press release style. <laughs> Which obviously makes, kind of almost puts a context of where they are, and then again doesn't put a context of where they are. <laughs> yeah. Because we can either be in New York or LA. Fair enough. This is also when I realized, oh, the old guy's the police commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah here's the same one who was on tv saying that he wanted to investigate him okay did you watch the same movie i did i just didn't process that it was the same person oh lord <laughs> so lord help us <laughs> the people tyler then also explains that the people the police commissioner is after are the people that they depend on, the people that cook the meals, take out the trash, connect the calls, drive ambulances, they guard you while you sleep, do not fuck with us. Yeah. Fair enough. And then everyone leaves and escapes. And then the narrator says, I am Jack's inflamed sense of rejection. Why does he keep saying stuff like this? So he finds letters in the house, uh, like, from the colon and everything. Yeah, in the house that they're in, that like it's like Jack is like the guy who's like writing, like used to live in a house apparently, and all this stuff. And then he's really jealous the fact that the blonde guy who's like really really beautiful that Tyler's taking an interest in him. It's another one of their homoerotic tendencies of the two have, because like there's a there's an idea like in the book that the narrator loves Tyler, almost in a homoerotic way. Okay. Well, I mean, because in the book, the way, the way they meet, now I can bring this up. They don't meet in the way they meet in the film. So in the book, they meet on a nude beach. And, oh. Ty- and Tyler is fully nude. Not a plane. Not a plane. That's quite different. So so the first thing the narrator sees is Tyler's dick. Okay. Which I think is hilarious. Is the narrator also nude? No. Okay. The narrator just went to a nude beach. He's bridge. just fully clothed on a nude beach. Fair. I, I was just curious. Yeah. And like Tyler like builds some stuff nude and you know, that's part of the narrators. That's part of their meeting. But I think it's like he gets really jealous of the blonde guy. Hence the next scene. Fair enough. But we are going to actually have to wait until next week to get to the next scene. Because that is where we are stopping this week's episode. Oh. But Steven, yeah, I didn't tell Steven where we were stopping. But Steven, thank you so much for joining. This has been absolutely lovely. We've definitely gone off the rails. But you know what? That's kind of what happens when we have conversations. To your editor, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> and, you. And we're sorry. Um, And Ankit's sorry, but because he, he, you know, Ankit's actually sorry. But I don't know you. So as I don't know you, I do apologize. But as a like, as we were making really entertaining content, I don't know if I should. <laughs> Hi, Pranav, you're doing great. (laughs) Thank you for your work. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being here. If people want to find you on the internet doing what you're doing, how can they do so? How can they follow Uh, you? If you could follow my Instagram on at snyman17. And if you're in the UK currently, you can follow a lovely Instagram called IndecentBWT. That'll take you to a ticket link for my current show, Indecent by Paula Vogel, which will be the end of my East 15 acting school directing career because I'm graduating with my MFA in directing in September. Uh, So my thesis show is taking place in September. So if you can get a ticket to that, please do. There's 187 seats. We want to sell them. There's four shows, four opportunities to see this wonderful show. So if you're in the UK, follow S. Nyman 17 and Indecent BWT. 
for all updates. You can also follow me on uh, find me on Facebook at Stephen Nyman. Yeah, I mean, you can also follow them even if you're not in the UK. Please do. Give us more likes. But yeah, well, I definitely can't wait until the show. I'm really looking forward to it. All the links for his stuff will be in the comments. But thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, I'll catch you all later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The art is by Jared Rother, and the music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison. If you would like to support the show and gain access to loads of bonus content, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Any of the money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show and help make it a better experience for you, the listeners. And it is greatly appreciated. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can do so by talking about us on social media at postfinalepod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or X, whatever we're calling this new thing. I'm still not sure what it's going to be called, but we're on all of those platforms. Be sure to talk about us there. Reach out to a friend. That helps out a lot. Share the podcast with a friend. Be like, hey, you love movies. Check out this new podcast this actor goes through and watches films that he probably should have already watched at this point, but he's getting around to it finally, and he has some fun takes and tends to be wrong and make some bad jokes, and it's a fun time. Reach out to your friends. It really does help a lot. And last but not least, if you still want to help out the show, leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever app you are using to listen to the show. All of these things really, really help and is greatly appreciated. And thank you to everyone who has already done this. And thank you to everyone who will do this in the future. But I'm just thankful that you've tuned in for this episode. And be sure to join us next week as we finish talking about post-finale. And Stephen joins us once again. And until then, I'll catch y'all later. Later.